steps into it, pass is caught! Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! To the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Maholt. And today, we are going to spend a little bit of time checking in with former Vikings that are currently playing in the postseason. And what I mean by checking in, I don't want to be misleading. I mean, I want we, we're going to spend some time looking at the guys who played well. Um, and there's a couple of them that didn't play too well. And of course, there's a couple of coaches involved um, in the postseason as well. Um, this is kind of inspired by the fact that every single time a former Viking does anything good, specifically in the postseason, um, everyone goes into disarray. So we're going to uh, add some fuel to that fire today uh, by checking in with a couple guys that really had a nice wild card weekend um, and are you know key catalysts to the reason why their team is moving on this season. So. Uh, we'll do that, and then we will do our kind of our, you know, the way that we do our previews for the weekend, some some picks, some jokes, that type of thing. So this should be a pretty laid-back episode as a whole. Um, but, yeah, that's the game plan. Uh, let's hop right into it here. Um, so let's talk about some of these guys that played this weekend. There's some obvious ones, of course. Um, you know, Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. Um, you got Kevin Stefanski coaching from his couch uh, in Cleveland. Um, and then there's some other less notable names, guys that you may have either forgotten about or pushed out of your memory forever on purpose. Um, guys like, you know, Andrew Sandeo, Sheldon Richardson, um, et cetera. Uh, but a lot of former Vikings made a splash this weekend. So where do you, where do you want to start here? Which guy do you, yeah. which one do you highlight first? I think you got to start with Heineke, um, your boy. I don't want to steal too much of your thunder, so I won't say a lot, but because uh, I know he's been, you've been kind of, uh, he's been your guy for a while. My sort of the, you know, my client saucer, right? Kind of a similar type of thing. But uh, I did, I certainly not expect that. I appreciate him uh, in, in covering Washington or covering 10 and a half points uh, on that bet. And so, I, I mean, honestly, they were, that was, he was much better than Alex Smith would have been for them. Uh, it's just a completely different game, way more aggressive, way more mobile. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I do wonder if Washington had won the game, if they would have stuck with Heineke, you know, for the next game, if Smith was healthy, that would have been a, an interesting conversation. Cause I would have said, go with Heineke, but uh, I think that's where you got to start uh, because that sort of, you know, again, I was very surprised in a good way with how he played given the situation. Well, given the situation is one thing, right? And then level two of this problem is that everyone thought he Taylor Heineke sucked outright. Right. Uh, and I want to give you some objective evidence to suggest that everyone thought that this guy sucked. Okay, so he originally, of course, as you Vikings fans know, was signed to the Vikings practice squad out of Old Dominion in 2015. Uh, he proceeded to break his foot when he really had his one opportunity to get some spot starter reps, never got those in Minnesota, and proceeded to be thrown around the league uh, by a, a number of different teams. The ones that I want to keep an eye on here are the ones that kind of dictate who, is, if, if anyone's going to ever pick you up again, right? So he went to New England after Minnesota. They cut him loose. Generally, that's a death sentence, right? Um, yeah. New England, just the way that they have kind of operated and the way that everyone else around the league views New England, you get cut from there, you might be dead. Well, then he goes to Houston, which, of course, has New England in charge at the time with Bill O'Brien and his uh, team gets cut there. 
Then he goes to Carolina, gets a bit of a chance there, more reps, cut there again. Now he's on the – then he goes to the St. Louis Battlehawks, of course. Um, not a real football team, an AAF football team, and didn't do anything in the AAF. Nothing. No opportunity. Uh, didn't sh- get to show his stuff. Nothing. And then he goes to Washington, and he goes to kind of the most screwed-up quarterback situation um, that you're going to find in the NFL, in my personal opinion, between Alex Smith coming back from the crazy leg injury, Dwayne Haskins going to a strip club every other day and getting himself kicked off the team, and then himself, uh, he you know kind of finds himself in a weird opportunity here where everyone's like, all right, who the hell is this guy? And again, I want to remind you, we know who this guy is because he has like there's was legit reason to think this guy can throw the football well. He looked. Those, really good he was good. He was like really good preseason quarterback. Like yeah, I know that good. doesn't mean a lot uh, usually. Like Kyle Slaughter was a great preseason quarterback too, you know. But uh, he right. has been a very good. Like he has shown things against you know your second, third string teams. But and we saw it in training camp. What was two years in training camp? Um, I mean, both of us. Like he was so yeah. low on the depth chart. He went to come to talk to us. You know, like he wanted to talk to Drew and myself. I feel like I, I literally have like linked like my you know my fandom to this guy. Because I, I always thought it was a hilarious joke, for one, because I thought he had enough talent for it to be like, you know, people are going to kind of take it a little bit too seriously. But at the same time, like, he wasn't good enough where it was like, all right, this guy's actually going to be a future starter. And then he does this in Washington. And that's why this is the most notable play here, because this is a guy where everyone had left him for dead, including myself. I was done. I had stopped making Taylor Heineke jokes for about a year and a half. And this guy <laughs> comes out of nowhere, puts up 300 yards. Like you said, I mean, a couple touchdowns, by the way, 90, on 92.8 PFF grade, which was better than Brady. Right. Uh, in that game. So he I mean, played he was... about as well as you possibly can given the circumstances and not in addition to given the circumstances about as well as you can do like, as a quarterback, he did like, everything in, within in his power. Period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was fantastic. He was aggressive down the field. I mean, I think there was like, and some. I mean, some of those balls were great. Like the touchdown on the corner route to one of the guys named Sims. Uh, <laughs> it was perfect, right? Yeah. Perfect ball placement. Um, and you could even see that. I think they panned over the Brady on the bench, and he goes, "That's unbelievable." And it seriously was. Like, yeah. Plus the you know diving for the pylon, Vikings fans have seen that before. So. Guy's a gamer, and I, again, I really wish Washington would have won just to see what they would have done at quarterback. I would imagine they would have There's gone. There's real Heineke. questions now, anyways, regardless of the fact that they lost. Because did you right. see the, 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 there's the subsequent report right after the game that Alex Smith doesn't know what he's going to do with his future. Of course, Dwayne Haskins isn't on the roster, and I mean Heineke was. I mean, he, there's no way he's on like under contract next year, right? They brought no. him in in December for right. you know two months or a month or whatever. So, but he I could mean, be the guy. This is the opportunity be, here because I mean, they're, they, they're not drafting high enough to get any least, of the five best quarterbacks this at year. At the very least, he earned some good backup money. Like, because remember the Matt Flynn game? I think right. it was end Seven of 2011 touchdowns. or 2010 or something like that. He threw a bunch of touchdowns, bunch of yards, and then he got all this backup money for Seattle or wherever. And they never That's played. That's Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and well, and then he immediately lost the job to Russell Wilson, and the rest is history. So, uh, Taylor Heineke is going to get that type of deal, which is great for him. Like he just made himself millions of dollars with that game. It was, it's honestly, he's worth it too. Cause if you, what, what was my, my, my thing back then was like my kind of claim was that eventually this guy's going to be a spot starter in the NFL. That's what I saw. That was as far as I was willing to go. I wasn't ever going to say, Oh, this is Kurt Warner. You know, he's going to figure it out at 32 and turn into a great quarterback. I wasn't doing any of that, but I did believe this guy's going to be a spot starter. And I think he's established himself that I'm right now. 
I'm going to pat myself on the back because I'm right. Like, <laughs> you, he, you did not think this day that. would come. You did not think this day would come, though. <laughs> no, I didn't. I don't think anyone thought this day would right. come. I'm jubilant about it. But regardless, an outstanding performance. Uh, I think you're right. This guy gets kind of like the A grade here, and everyone else is just like a wall. I, mean, like I think if the Washington defense shows up as many thought it would, uh, even against you know the Bucks who had been on fire, but right. like, the Washington defense didn't really – Chase Young, much. zero sacks. Yeah. I mean, there was very little pressure on Brady all day. So I was expecting more resistance there. And if there was, we're talking about a different game, potentially Washington playing, you know, another week in the playoffs. Does Heineke get an opportunity to start for Washington week one next year? This is a split second. Like, I'm not asking for anything. I'm going to say no. Well, here's what I, I think happens. I think Washington drafts a quarterback high, uh, or they trade up or do something. Um and that guy probably starts, but Heineke would be number two. I think that's probably right. Yeah, that's that'll probably be what happens here. Um, as far as guys that are going to be starting next week, though, and kind of rolling over here into our, uh, you know, next top performer that uh, previously were uh, wore the purple and gold. I think uh, I think we probably have to go to Stefan Diggs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, given not just the season that he had, you know, everyone's very familiar with the fact they led the league in just about every major volume statistic. Uh, but he came into the postseason uh, with with a reputation for being a guy that makes things happen. I mean, of course, if you have the the Minneapolis miracle on your resume, uh, you're going to be expected to make big plays. And I think it's fair to say that's you know six one twenty eight and one uh, with a win over a very good Indianapolis team that competed to the very end uh, is you know a staple performance for this guy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, this is, you know, and I've kept, I think I've said it on a bunch of episodes throughout the season, but like he was right. I mean, the, this is the move that he needed for his career to really get to that next level or his prestige, his reputation as a wide receiver to really leap to that next level and get through the recognition he deserved. And you wouldn't have thought, you know, oh, Buffalo. Okay. And with Josh Allen, who was very inaccurate prior to this year, but Josh Allen has become much better as a passer and you have to attribute some of that to Diggs. Um, and Diggs is getting the targets that he deserves. Um, and so, you know, he's getting the all pro recognition. He's getting the pro bowl recognition. Um, this is huge for him. And now he's on a team that has a very real chance to compete for a Super Bowl. So this is an excellent move for his career. He gambled kind of, you know, taking kind of, cause he was in a great situation in Minnesota. He was, I mean, right. he wasn't getting the targets, but, the roster was good. He had a good quarterback, an accurate quarterback. Um, but he kind of gambled, uh, and it has certainly paid off. So I, good for him. And I, I, he's really fun to watch too. I mean, it's when he is getting the targets like this, he's, he's awesome and entertaining to watch. The thing that I miss the most, I think, and the one quality that I haven't seen in Jefferson yet, and I'm not saying he doesn't have this trait, but I'm saying I haven't consistently seen it yet is the catch in traffic. Uh, Stefan Diggs, where he goes up and there's like three guys that collapse on him in the air and it's just his ball. Like it always is his ball. It's not just that he doesn't drop it, right? It's literally that he gets beat up midair and like still takes a violent out. hit and still catches it. Exactly. It's the Anquan Bolden trait, right? Like that he is, you know, that made him such a great receiver in the NFL for so long, running those slants or short routes over the middle that are going to get you killed in most circumstances. But Diggs, um, like Bolden, uh, has been a guy that consistently will take a hit and still come up with the football. And he did that um, this past weekend, of course, but uh, he's just so consistent, right? When you're, when you're able to be open all the time with fundamentals, 
is it's it's an amazing thing because it's predictive, right? When you're a quarterback and you know that your guy's you know route running yeah. ability is so good that you can get off the line of scrimmage and guarantee that he's going to be open in that window, you can you you don't need to see as much, right? You don't need to scan the field as long or look at a guy long enough where you got collapsing pressure. It gives Allen just that extra second or that extra moment, I should say, um, and it, it pays paying off big time. Because it's not just that Diggs is a volume guy now. He's getting the volume like he wanted, but he's still also doing that vertical stuff that we saw in Minnesota in kind of a limited capacity, right? Um, he's an everything receiver now. I think it's pretty fair to say that he's a top three guy in the league and he's doing it in the postseason now. Um, you know, it, this is going to be one of the weirdest trades ever because I don't think either team is going to be ever going to be dissatisfied with the production. Right. Oh, got. yeah. But at the same time, like, you, you, there's always going to be a winner and loser in every transaction. And it's going to be very hard to argue that trading Stephon Diggs was the right move when he goes to Buffalo and wins the Super Bowl, if that's ultimately what happens here. Yeah, right. So. I mean, and that and Buffalo's on fire, man. I mean, I, he was know, the I think, piece. I, think, I didn't think, I think that he would be the he piece. He is. He, he certainly was. And I think all season we've kind of thought, uh, you know, all Kansas City, there's no way. I mean, I'm not picking anybody against Kansas City. But right. they kind of limped into the playoffs. And meanwhile, Buffalo is just steamrolling people offensively. And, you know, that Colts defense is – arguably top five in the league didn't seem to have a huge problem moving the ball against them. So, yeah, I mean, and we should, me- I mean, mention Xavier Rhodes on the Colts as well. Another That's guy that has a, next, yeah. he's, I mean, overall, I mean, they lost the game, but uh, I believe he was among the best in terms of coverage allowed uh, for starting cornerbacks this year by PFF. So that's another guy who, you know, left the Vikings, put on a different uniform and kind of had a, I don't want to say a career season. I don't think he was 2016, 2017 good, but he was, certainly better than the last couple of years and which is, you know, as a Vikings fan watching the Vikings struggle at cornerback, you know, at a tremendous level this year, it's kind of tough to see that. Yeah. I've got the pro football focus stuff pulled up right in front of me here. Uh, he actually was the high, the highest grade defense graded defender um, yesterday or the other day um, for Indianapolis. Um, oh, there you over, go. You know, with the starter amount of snaps, there's Isaiah Rogers at a higher grade, but he had like five snaps. So that doesn't count. Um, and his coverage, his coverage production, five targets, three completions, 16 total yards for in Xavier Rhodes's coverage against Stefan Diggs' Buffalo Bills um, this past weekend here. So safe to say that he also had a nice game. Uh, and he really you're right. He had he really did have a nice season as well. Um, I, and I don't think that anyone wanted Xavier Rhodes back. This isn't the same situation as Stefan Diggs, right? Everyone oh, yeah. I, I mean, hey, I think both of us were in agreement. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean there's no reason to keep him. And then. <laughs> You know, I think we were both – I'm going to confidently say that I was wrong about that one. Yeah, I definitely was as well. I thought he was cooked. I mean, he's one of he's one of my favorite Vikings, period. Uh, I thought it was over, and I don't know where the second win came from. I would have to go through a lot more Indianapolis film to get a better idea here, but it just seems like he was just a better player this year. And, I, and that, for what it's worth, I don't want to open up this, you know, can of worms here just yet, uh, but I do wonder if that's kind of a mark on Zimmer uh, and given kind of the switch from – you know, a system in Minnesota that used to work very well, didn't work so well this year um, versus a system in Indianapolis that seems a little bit more contemporary and is currently working at a pretty high level at, you know, the current year. Uh, just something to think about, uh, just given the kind of the path mm-hmm. that Rhodes took and kind of the the amazing roller coaster that he's been on from being, you know, a top cornerback in the entire NFL in 2017 down to the shaft, like literally the worst graded cornerback across the board in his final season in Minnesota and back up to being, you know, a top 15-ish type player at his position um, just a year later. So something to think about. 
Uh, moving forward here, let's go to Cleveland because Cleveland has a couple of guys, uh, not just players, but uh, coaching staff as well. They have become the Seahawks of the East for the Vikings in terms of poaching our talent. Uh, and the, the, the kind of the main source of that talent, I suppose, is the head coach um, who gets a win, um, a postseason win technically because he is. Yeah, how does that work? Is this, is this like, does he get this, you know, in terms of Stefanski's legacy, does he get a win here or is he. I don't know I don't, how that works. I don't think it goes like if you go into pro pro football reference, I think it would show up as Mike Prefer interim head coach one win, which again, he's a Viking, former Viking. Which sucks for Kevin in a little bit, but I think he'd much rather have the win that the for Browns sure. earned versus, I'm, you know, I think that's more what he's worried about. Uh, but that was, I mean, I can't, I had no, you know, that was not my expectation for how that game played out. Uh, first of all, I bet the under, so that didn't go so well. Uh, but <laughs> also like, it feels like Pittsburgh gave this away so incredibly hard in the first half of the game that it was, I mean, if the Browns didn't win that game, there was going to be an issue. Uh, so, Oh yeah. Which I was nervous I mean, that multiple points are in that game for the Browns. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had, what was it? 28, nothing lead early on uh, based on four early turnovers. Like it was, it was the greatest string of events you could possibly ask for as a Browns fan to begin right. the game. And so it's, we're glad to see that they didn't give that away, I guess. It's funny too, because the way that the Browns jumped out to their league, like it was literally like handed to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like Marquise Pouncey doesn't snap. I mean, credit, I also, I will say this credit to the Browns for scoring in the red zone, right? Like scoring right. touchdowns because, you know, I mean, that's, they got the, the fumble, the fumble in the end zone for one, but then when they get these turnovers, and they, they took advantage of them. They scored touchdowns rather than scoring field goals, which if you look back at the game, you know, may have been the difference as them capitalizing and getting six versus settling for field goals early on during those scenarios. But yeah, I, I certainly didn't expect it to, to all play to play out that way. And Pittsburgh, by the way, is cooked. I mean, I think they were frauds the entire way. And I think a lot of people knew it and we were waiting for this to kind of unfold and it finally did. So in terms of credit now, this is an interesting situation because mm-hmm. we were just talking about this, you know, as far as Stefanski's legacy goes, um, he's still coaching, right? Like he did everything from Zoom this week, uh, which has really been the standard this entire year for a lot of teams, Cleveland included. Um, So it's not like he was really doing anything super differently, but he just doesn't get the win in the books. So I'm asking you, I don't care about what the books say. Um, We saw firsthand what happened, how this game played out. Um, How much credit do you give Prefer? How much credit do you give Stefanski here? And then I have follow-up questions depending on, so, yeah, so power is there. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it more to Stefanski. Um, although now I, we know I think I think it's un, I think we are, it's understood that he didn't really do anything in terms of coaching during the game. Like right. he was just sitting there at home watching it. Um, but I would imagine he was a key component in, in you know game planning and things like that. Yeah. Um, and as far as the game management piece, I don't I'm trying to think back. I don't imagine I don't think Prefer had any difficult decisions to make. Um, right. You know. I mean, especially if the game is handed to you in the first quarter, you know, the decision really becomes take it uh, and capital and offensively capitalize on your chances. So I'm not saying Prefer didn't do, you know, a good job or anything. I just don't think it was like, you know, the, the illusion, the, uh, no, the, the joke we say about McCarthy, he started on third base and then hit a, and then scored, right. you know, uh, like good, good for you. You know, it's one else for Prefer. Like, I don't think he was asked to do a whole lot just because of how poorly Pittsburgh played. Uh, so, I'm going to give it to Stavansky. I think his, I think he gives, deserves more credit for this. And just in terms of the overall season, right? Like building Cleveland up in his right. first season, managing the talent, managing kind of some Eagles on the team as well. 
uh, maybe able to manage those together, bring them together and give Cleveland what they, those fans really have deserved for a long time now, finally getting that playoff win. So that question, Prefer versus Stefanski, who deserves the credit here, really comes down to like preparation, execution, and in-game decision-making. I think you're right that Prefer didn't really do – I don't think he did anything particularly special, you know, at least that was visible to our eyes. He may have done something on the sideline, but he's not an innovator, right? Like he's not the one that's drawing – he's not calling plays. He's a former special teams coach, as everyone knows, or current special teams coach, I suppose. Um it's not like he's doing anything crazy. He was just in charge of decision-making and you're right. I don't think there was any hard decisions there, but he definitely had his guys prepared. Uh, yeah. But I think you have to I'm not, I'm not, I'm, Yeah. To, I'm not trying to discredit Prefer. I guess it's just like, I don't think the game I would give more called, credit to Stefanski in terms of preparation anyways. Like I don't, right, yeah. there's nothing I just don't think the game just, called for any like tough decisions. Like it just, that's just the way the game played out. Uh, I, I do think Prefer could have made some great decisions if it was called for, but the way the game flowed, it was just a matter of the Browns doing, you know, some damage control towards the end and that's it. I mean, that was, that's all they really called for. So kind of given our stance then that Stefanski is really, you know, the fact that the Browns were prepared was really what gave them the edge in this game or, um, at least that's what it appeared to be. They were very prepared. They were ready to overwhelm a Pittsburgh team that was well, he's certainly more prepared than Pittsburgh was. I would agree. Yes. Okay. So we'll give the edge to Stefanski there. Um, my question then becomes how much do we value what Prefer did here? I know that Prefer has a, his, a history of being uh, not a great person, right? But at the same time, he also has a history of being very good at his special teams coach. Um, he's got a long history of doing a lot of things well. And he also won the last time he was the answer or, Came down to the wire, excuse me, when he's the yeah. He covered. The Cowboys he covered. He I remember cover. Al Michaels made a point to say that I believe on the broadcast. So when the Vikings I mean, were given no shot, so this is the right. second time that he's you know kept his team competitive in an opportunity when you think that they have no shot. Now the way that this league has moved is their you know offensive guys are getting hired left and right. Once in a while you sprinkle in a defensive guy, and I don't remember a special teams guy. John Harbaugh. Other yeah, than John Harbaugh. Um, Joe Judge is the closest thing to it being you know a non. Um, kind of demonstrative coordinator position going to it being a head coach. Um, my question becomes then, does Prefer, how much credit do we give Prefer here? Like, does, is, is it worthy of interviewing this guy for a head coaching position, uh, knowing what we do about, you know? That's a good question. Uh, you wonder if this will maybe pique some interest, huh? Uh, I would imagine if. It's outside the box for sure. It's something different. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I mean, I guess it would be certainly, it's obviously not a name. I haven't seen it, I, you know, his name come up in anything um throughout the you know i guess what the twitter uh you know what what Rappaport and and Schefter say about coaching hires and whatnot but uh, i am still of the you know mindset that you got to be hiring an offensive head coach and so that's what i'm going to stick with and that's what i would do if i was hiring but uh you know prefer's got he has a he's built himself a resume and he's got he has very minimal yes but he does have some head coach experience in games so Clearly, he's not. He's certainly not the worst you could do for somebody that's not an offensive mind. For sure, for sure. Um, and then in terms of guys on the field here, uh, two guys for the Browns: just Sheldon Richardson, and then of course everyone's favorite player, Andrew Sandejo. Uh, both got in on the action against Pittsburgh this past weekend. Here, uh, Sandejo actually had a pretty solid game as far as pro football focus is concerned. As always, to give out this disclaimer, you know. Say what you want about pro football focus, but they generally give you a pretty good idea of, you know, whether it was really good or it's a really good tool to identify, uh, you know, how effective a player was. So I I don't think Richards, I mean, I, I, you said the grades prior to recording, I think it was like 72 for Sandejo and like Mm -hmm. 53 for Richardson. So Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and those guys, uh, I don't, I, mean, I don't think their roles are certainly like, aren't they're not like massive in terms of the right. Cleveland defense, but uh, they're key components. And it is funny that, you know, you talk about those two guys and you talk about Case Keenum as well. It's a backup quarterback there. And it's like, you kind of right. start rooting, you know, you got Stefanski and Prefree, you kind of like, I'm rooting for the Browns, man. I mean, it's hard not to anyways. And then you talk about the COVID issues and then the fact that they're a little bit like the Vikings and that they've just been sort of cursed for so long and they've had to deal with all this uh, negativity and uh, lack of success. You're really rooting for them to win now. I don't think they're going to go to Kansas City and win, but uh, I guess that's sort of the roundup on like Vikings players, but or, uh, yeah, I was wondering, Vikings, is there anyone else that I'm missing here? I don't think uh, I don't think it would be so. like Latavius Murray, maybe uh, for yeah. his brief stop in Minnesota where he had uh, he had a touchdown against the Bears, but he did. Uh, there's probably others out there too, like Cordero Patterson. I don't know if you want to get that deep into this, but you know, Patterson had a one long return, but I mean, the Bears offense was the Bears offense. So that's a, uh, that's it's, it, I'm glad that you brought both those guys up because they were a part of, you know, the broadcast, the Nickelodeon broadcast, which I do yeah. want to spend uh, a quick moment here on because um, Latavius Murray gets the touchdown. He gets us the slime zone. Uh, that's a big moment for him uh, and for us um, as fans to get the, you know, the slime zone touchdown there. Um, so kudos to him for getting into the end zone um, as a former Viking. But, you know, what did you think of Nickelodeon? Uh, I know this has nothing to do with Vikings football, but I'm sure that there's some of you uh, out there that watch this, whether it was for your kids or you were just interested like myself. Uh, what did you think about this broadcast at all? Yeah. So the best way I can explain it is what big cat tweeted. Uh, um, yesterday he said watching this game on Nickelodeon is like watching football on acid. Uh, now I've never been on acid, so I don't know exactly what that experience is like, but uh, it was just like, I, here's what I'll, I'll, be like. <laughs> I'll say this though. Nate Burleson's awesome. Like yeah, he, he is, is the, he was the perfect candidate to go on there and sort of exp- like while simultaneously, like being the color guy uh, of the game, but also like explaining football to kids, which was the idea of this. He was whole so concept. good at dumbing it down. Yeah, perfect. He was perfect at it. So and he 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 should be a color guy on TV anyway. I know he's stuck in the CBS booth right now, but he should be a color guy. I would enjoy that um, more than his CBS role. But aside from that, uh, you know, it was it was fine. I mean, I I don't know how much how effective it was. Uh, I don't like that Mitch Trubisky won the MVP. Uh, the what was a Nickelodeon valuable player or whatever because <laughs> of it well that was by the way that was solely big cat getting all his Twitter followers to vote uh, for it and he got half the vote as the losing quarterback he got smoked <laughs> which is pretty funny yeah but I, I mean it, it's good I, I would I'm entertained simply because they like there's so much like it's nostalgic almost with how like the shows that they mentioned like SpongeBob and uh, right. all these characters they kind of mentioned from the past and then they kind of asked like they had little fun facts about the players like what shows they like and things like that i would imagine i mean it's weird that they chose wildcard weekend um to yeah. introduce it instead of like you know week two or something like that in a regular season game yeah uh i'm sure we'll see more of it but it was it was certainly different it was certainly different okay so the broadcast itself didn't do a whole lot for me right like i'm not i don't really care about the Nick, nickelodeon uh brand i don't i'm not in like the slime thing was hilarious i was dying the first thing that first time that thing went off but like i just like i'm gonna sean payton got slimed yeah that also very funny but like i'm an adult i don't really care about nickelodeon right as i'm sure most of every probably every single person listening to this show um what i do like is that i think this opens up a door here right um and i tweeted about this yesterday i think that this opens up the door for you know, HBO to pull um, a broadcast and give me 
anyone who has a foul mouth broadcasting oh, a game on yeah. HBO and just allow them to go, you know, ape shit on it. My instantly, I think Bill Burr because he's my favorite comedian, and of course he has, you know, one of the slickest f bombs in the game. Uh, and I think that would be hilarious. Put him next to Nate Burleson would work in this venture too because he's, you know, break down the football of it. But just like I want to hear what these guys are actually thinking. Like you know when they have the slips of the tongue every once in a while, it's the oh, yeah. best. Well, moment. if you watched, if you watched the ESPN, uh, yeah, the Titans Ravens game, you heard the entire game. There was you know the slip ups, and they, they instead of like playing them, there was a little bit of a lag there where they right. could bleep it out and just mute all noise or all audio. And so, and it happened all the time. But instead of that, you want to hear what they actually say, which is what you're going with here. With and I would kill if they went even a step further, right? So on top of allowing the broadcast or the commentators to just say what they feel, um, get a couple guys, pay a couple mic'd guys up. to be mic'd up. Yeah. How much would you have loved to hear what Cameron Jordan was thinking about during that game? Like, or what he wanted to say? You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like, or Cordero Patterson either. Even like, you know, everything he'd be, he'd be like, oh, I just, ret- you know, return and shit. Like everything would be like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. I think that it opens up a whole like batch of possibilities here for what the NFL can do in terms of, you know, differentiating your broadcasting system. Like ESPN plus is also doing this cool thing now where they're giving you with Mina Kimes and a couple other people where they're giving yeah, you like that, their, uh, their simulcast or like yeah, a, a live, like there was like a live betting one too, or something like that mm-hmm. as well. Like, like you it's know, awesome. live. Yeah. And so it's to good me, stu- it's good stuff. So to me, it's not about Nickelodeon, their slime and all that. It's about the possibilities moving forward and what we might see is honestly as soon as next year. There's a lot of money here. Think about think about how much money there would be in getting a deal with HBO just to do three games a year. Yeah. Because like HBO you have would to have your answer. HBO Max or whatever the hell, like whatever the, the subscription's called. And then, you know, from there you can uh, get this number of games and then that many, that many more people would sign up for HBO and you know, yeah, there's a bunch of money there to to uh, to be had. So I like that idea. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, uh, but that's a really good kind of branch off of the Nickelodeon thing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Um, last thing that we want to do here today uh, is just go through what uh, what our thoughts are heading into next week, right? So the divisional round here looks a little bit different than I guess we're used to, but uh, it ends up being you know we get a couple of games here, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, as we have kind of come to expect. Uh, And these matchups here are fairly interesting because of the results that we got in the first round. Last week, Drew and I were talking about, uh, you know, matchups that we wanted to see, right? Like what needs to happen in terms of, you know, getting the best product uh, from this week. And I think for the most part, we got that. Uh, The upsets this weekend were quality upsets in terms of viewership, right? Like we wanted to see Cleveland advance just because Mm -hmm. Cleveland's a lot more fun than Pittsburgh, for example. But you also get Buffalo advancing. That gives you a premier matchup this weekend. Um, And of course, you know, the the other teams that were kind of supposed to win to give you, you know, more fun, that seemed to happen here. Um, And so I think we're in for another, you know, fun round um, of NFL postseason play here this weekend. Um, We'll start here with, you know, what I would kind of, in my opinion, be probably the worst game, especially for, you know, Vikings fans. I mean, unless you're the kind of person who's into, you know, um, you know, the Packers and just like following them around. But I think that's, you know, the Los Angeles Rams and Green Bay Packers game here uh, is really the only one on the slate that I don't have a particular interest in because I feel like I already know the result. Um, and that's a, that's largely due to the fact that Jared Goff is playing with, you know, four fingers on his throwing hand, uh, the backup quarterback who, if he, if he's on the field, it's not good in the first place, but uh, he might not even be there. Um, 
and Aaron Donald going off the field. There's a lot of problems that the Rams are going to face, and they're going up against Aaron Rodgers, the best team in the NFC. So I actually think the Rams match up really well with Packers. Um, okay. I say that because Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey can contain Devontae Adams. Um, that defense is special. Um, I mean, they've one of the best units all season long. Now, pending Aaron Donald's health, uh, he did leave the game. So that's one thing to monitor. And I think you always have the possibility of a really good McVay game. Right. Just calling his shots, right? Right. So, and I, and, to, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't really care who's playing quarterback for McVay. I think the offense runs the same way. So I, it could be Walford. It could be Goff. It could be Blake Bortles. I feel like things don't be relatively the same. So I think there's the possibility of Rams, you know, keeping this close. I think they actually will keep this close. Um, I'm, I'll probably take the Rams points, but I think the green Bay, uh, I, I think green Bay will sneak out and win it. So it's Packers minus seven, the over under set at 46 and a half. Uh, I'm also, you know, Outright, I would take the Packers. Uh, I'm very comfortable with that pick. But against the spread, at minus seven, I'm not a big better, but I know you you know, are more interested in that type of thing. How much more comfortable do you feel with seven points taking the Rams? I, I feel very – especially after this last this latest performance, um, I thought you know, they re, they've looked really good like containing Russ a little bit in terms of like escapability and things like right. that. And so what I like about big the Rams defense is – Well, yeah, the corners have – I mean, it's not just Ramsey, but those corners have come alive. And so – if it comes to a situation where the, you know, the receivers are blanketed on their the first, second read and Rogers tries to escape to make a play happen, that D line has been really good about keeping him there, keeping him uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I like the Rams to cover in this matchup. Um, that's, I, again, I, it's just a lot about their defense versus actually the Rams offense. I think they're, they're, that defense can keep Packers in check. One thing I will say about this game is that you do get one very cool opportunity if Aaron Donald plays, and that's getting to see Aaron Rodgers quarterback against arguably the top two defenders in the NFL at the moment, um, with Donald being in the middle there, and then of course Jalen Ramsey in the back end, and both those guys, all those, you know, excuse me, those two guys are both flanked with plenty of talent around them, so you can really maximize their their ability. You know, you got John Johnson to cover Jalen Ramsey over the top. You feel comfortable with that, um, so. While I will probably mute the TV when the Rams offense is on the field, because I don't think that's going to go well. I do think that seeing Rodgers versus, you know, prime of his career, Aaron, Aaron Donald, assuming he's healthy, um, and Jalen Ramsey, of course, on the back and reestablishing himself as arguably the top cornerback in the league, that's fun um, inherently. So I'm here for that, but I'm going Packers as well. Uh, the second one here, I think this one has a little bit more potential, and that's because uh, – New Orleans and Tampa Bay, first of all, they hate each other because they're from both from NFC South teams. You'll get um, kind of that, indif- that that inherent indifference that you got from Cleveland and Pittsburgh, but um, from the NFC side now. Uh, the other b- big thing being, of course, and I'm sure this will be the talking point for all national media across the week, you get 43-year-old Tom Brady against 41-year-old Drew Brees. Brees probably retiring at the end of the season. Brady seems like he's got a little bit more gas in the tank, but you get that opportunity to have the number one and number two passing yard leaders all time um, going up against each other in the postseason, And of course you get the, the other fun little matchups that are just involved in this game. Alvin Kamara is a character. Antonio Brown's a crazy guy. You never know what's going to happen there. Mike Evans, the first receiver to, you know, seven consecutive thousand yard seasons, uh, plenty of talent across the board. Mike Thomas will 
Michael Thomas will probably go on Twitter and complain after they lose. You know, there's just a lot of narratives kind of coming together in one good fight here with two teams that really, I think Tampa Bay is the better team at this point in the season. Uh, but New Orleans enters with the advantage. Who do you got in this one? Yeah, it's, I, I love the dynamic of like Tampa Bay is clearly the better team right now, I think, in terms of they're lighting it up lately. But yep. the Saints have beaten them twice. So, and one of those times it was like, Massacre. I mean, it was like 38 to three or 38 to 10 or whatever the score was. So um, you get kind of like, you know, how hard is it to beat a team three times in the season type of deal? I'm going to, I'm rolling with Tampa in this game. I think they're feeling it. I mean, the way they showed up against Washington, I thought was impressive. So uh, I think Brady's peaking at the right time, so to speak, peaking. I mean, you can have 43 year old quarterback peak, but uh, I think he's doing really well for this time of year. I'm also rolling with Tampa Bay in this game. Uh, Drew Brees just doesn't inspire me anymore. I think he's, nope. a, I think he's more of a liability at this point in his career. And that's, you know, just, I mean, father times undefeated, of course, but he's also playing hurt. I mean, the expect the, the bar for Drew Brees is so much lower. It's, it's, it's way higher for Tom Brady, two years older, by the way. Um, and I think that, you know, play, peaking at the right time matters, right? We've seen this before, whether it's the, you know, the giants, uh, Joe Flacco's run, um, et cetera. If you peak at the right time, like you can make things happen that really shouldn't have happened, right? Everything that's on paper kind of goes out the window. Um, and I think you can even say that even more so uh, with this being, a, you know, a divisional matchup. And like you're saying, it's hard to beat a team three times. Uh, I think that was the number one thing that we were, you know, you know, talking about. Remember that year when Joe Webb uh, started for the Vikings in the postseason, the Vikings that came off of kind of that very pedestrian win where Adrian Peterson just was able to get off and get to, you know, that 2,000-yard mark. Um, I think the number one calling card for the Vikings was that, you know, you played them twice already this year. This is, you know, we know them. We have an opportunity here. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Tampa Bay can, you know, has that same feeling, but they're actually a good team. It's not just one player that's, you know, trampling their way through the team, through the playoffs. Uh, Tampa Bay's probably the most complete roster in the NFL in terms of just overall level of talent. Madden's, Madden ratings, if you will. I bet you they have the most players over 85 overall, something like that. Um, so I think Tampa Bay is going, going to win in this game, but that minus three and a half for the Saints, that's interesting uh, from Vegas. Uh, we know where their stance is. So yeah. um, Packers and Bucks for both of us. And then we go to Sunday here uh, over to the AFC side. And I think this is probably one of the more fun matchups of the weekend. That's Buffalo and Baltimore, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, a matchup of two guys who are from the same draft class. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot more fun narratives coming to head here. Stephon Diggs, of course, uh, Marcus Peters, you know, always, you know, a treat uh, when he's, you know, in front of a camera. Uh, who do you got in this game? I'm going to take Buffalo. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game because that Ravens run game is no joke, but I'm always going to take the, the passing game versus the running game. It's actually interesting how different these offenses are uh, where, you know, the Bills are extremely pass heavy like to a fault almost they don't have a run game you know when they need to bleed clock at the end of the game is where they struggle to see last week um but you know the, the ravens are doing completely opposite where i mean i don't think they really trust lamar to throw but there are lots of games where they don't really need him to throw because they can just run all their option types of concepts and it doesn't matter so i'm gonna take buffalo though i think that's gonna prevail in the end um but it's i think it'll be a fun one I want to take Buffalo. I'm going to take Buffalo too, and I want to take Buffalo here. Um, this is a legacy game, right? Anytime you, we're starting to see that that shift now, and I, I think I've been saying this is going to happen for like the last three years, but we're trying to 
we're now starting to see like a true shift into like a new generation of talent. Um, if you haven't noticed, you got Baker Mayfield in the playoffs this year. 2018 Josh draft Allen, class, yeah. Three out of five. The only ones being Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold that aren't here from the first round. How about so, that uh, dichotomy of, you know, you got the, the extreme if, ends of the spectrum there. Who would you have got? I mean, for me, I would have said it probably would be Mayfield, Rosen, and Darnold. Not Allen and Jackson yeah, in true. the postseason just, you know, what, three years later. So, um it's the changing of the guards. Uh, we finally getting, you know, this new wave of quarterbacks. And this is really the premier matchup of that. It's a, it, or excuse me, the premier showcase of that. Um, you get Lamar Jackson being, you know, arguably already the best running quarterback of all time, um, doing things that Michael Vick wasn't even able to accomplish. Then you got Josh, Josh Allen, who has really exploded on to, you know, I don't want to say he exploded on the scene because we knew who he was and you knew what he was capable of, but he really established himself as like actually a good player. Like instead of just having the cannon for arm, it's also an accurate cannon for an arm now. So he's throwing at 40% downfield this year. Um, he's still rushing at a high rate. He's unstoppable in terms of just being one-on-one in the open field. I mean, he's as dangerous as a matchup individually as you're going to find in the NFL going up against, you know, undeniably, in my opinion, the most difficult one-on-one matchup in the NFL and Lamar Jackson in terms of, you know, how, in terms of trying to tackle a guy. So this is an inherently fun narrative. I'm going to go Buffalo as well. Uh, but I do think that this is, you know, one of those games that we'll look back on and it'll kind of be a legacy game for these two quarterbacks. If their career trajectory continues to, you know, mm-hmm. elevate as it has Lamar being a former MVP already, Josh Allen heading in the direction of potentially being a future MVP. Um, this might be something we look back on five, 10 years from now. Um, and that leaves us with the final game of the weekend. Uh, and also, I believe, the biggest spread of the weekend. Yeah, yes, that's correct. got to be. Kansas City going up against Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland gets the, the right to play again this week, what, given what they did against Pittsburgh. But they, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like, be careful what you ask for, because you get Kansas City well, now. Yeah, I mean, be... obviously they're going to try and win the game. But, like, you get two bold defending champs, 15. Well, I guess they went 14-2 because they lost that last game, I think. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm taking the Chiefs. I just am. I, right. I, I'm i not believing in the Browns yet. Uh, I, I probably won't the rest of the, the playoffs, I mean, honestly. But Chiefs are – I'm going to trust them. I mean, Andy Reid coming off the bye, we know the history there. Uh, that, you know, he's as good as anyone. His team's put up 30-plus every single time off a of bye. I think that I saw some stat on Twitter where he's put up – his team's put up 31 or more off a of bye like eight straight times, something like that. So, I mean, you're asking at that point, then you're asking your, your offense, asking Baker to keep up, um, which is a tall task. So I'm going to take Mahomes and the chiefs. I'm, I'm also, you know, going to take the chiefs, but I, I do want to speak to the Cleveland a little bit here. Um, Baker Mayfield going on record saying no one believed in us. He's right. I don't, I didn't believe right. him last week. Um, I picked him last week, but I didn't believe that that was actually going to happen. That was more <laughs> like a heart pick, right? Uh, and this week, if he says it again, he'll be even more right. Uh, because I don't think there's anyone on the planet who truly in their heart of hearts believes that Cleveland's going to win this football game. On paper, this is a nightmare. This is an absolute, like, you can't stop Patrick Mahomes. It's the one of the, it's a generation, excuse me, generational level offensive talent in terms of the way that they stretch the field. They can beat you on dumps, deep, intermediate, whatever. Um, and Andy Reid, of course, being the bit, you know, the best play caller in the NFL, arguably. Um, this is a nightmare. And this is Stefanski's first game coaching, by the way, true game coaching. So I think all signs, 100% of the signs 
point to Kansas City this week. This is a mega, mega, mega upset if Kansas City blows this, especially coming right. off of you know being the Super Bowl champions on top of everything. Um, so I'm going to take Kansas City. I'm going to, again, hope for the best for the Browns because I would love to see them make a run. Um, I think that you know if you get Buffalo or Cleveland a Super Bowl this year, that's righting a lot of wrongs. I just don't think it's realistic. Um, given the fact that Kansas City exists. And unfortunately, Cleveland has to be the first team to take them on. And I don't think – I truly don't think they have a chance at hell. Um, and it's just its just a matter of – it's a matter I mean, of individual – It's not matter. a hot take. It's like, you know, I don't, there's three teams, I think, in the league that maybe have a chance against Kansas City right now. So, I mean, Fortunately, I all three you. of those teams are still in the postseason, I think. Or if you're thinking of, what, yeah. Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and Green Bay, probably yep. being the only three teams. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. So if we get what we want now, that would give us Green Bay and Tampa Bay next round and then Kansas City and Buffalo. Which is um, exactly what I wanted the, going into the playoffs. That's Absolutely. Those are the matchups I wanted for entertainment purposes. So, Because like, you get Rodgers and Brady on one side. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. get sort of you know a challenger to Mahomes' sort of throne as the king of the league in the, in the AFC with Allen there um, uh, for, I guess, the future of the league, right? Uh, so with Allen – and then you get an absolute shootout likely in the Super Bowl, no matter what the result is. So that's awesome. Uh, it should be, if that's the case, if, the, if, we're, if we're right on these predictions, I would be very excited for the last uh, three games of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope it plays out this way. As much as I'd love to see Cleveland win, they just aren't as, they're not a, not going to be as much of a fun matchup in the Super Bowl. It would Bowl be as fun, but there. like we'd be super invested in that seven. Oh, for sure. Right. Right. Like that'd be, that would be just as entertaining for me. Would it be uh, that Cinderella story of beating, you know, their longtime rival have never had any success for with, a, you know, against in the last two decades. Then they beat, you know, the defending champs, undisputed best team on the road, you know, and then like, that would be awesome to see. And then of course, Stefanski and former Minnesota uh, ties, like that would be great, but it's just not in the cards. So I'm going to round this show out with one final question about Cleveland here. Um, they go into this matchup as nine and a half point underdogs. Um, I just, you know, went on record saying, I don't see any possible chance that they win unless, you know, the same type of thing happens as last week against Pittsburgh. Like they're going to need like literally the same type of thing to have a chance here. Um, has Cleveland done everything it's supposed to do this year? It's my question. Like, have they accomplished the, like, have they hit their bar, surpassed their bar and so forth? Like, when they lose this weekend, is this going to – like, there's going to be no questions about the achievements of Cleveland this year, right? Like, they – everyone's just going to be like, this is a great season. This is a foundation season. Let's see what they can do next year. It's not going to be like, oh, man, the Browns, they shit the bed again. It's not going to – Oh, gonna, like, I don't think that'll happen. I mean, unless it's really like – unless it's a Vikings-esque loss, you know? know? Like, the Vi- so the Vikings either lose playoff games in, like, super, like – heartbreaking fashion with a missed kick or whatever or they get freaking smoked 41 zip you know it's one of the two and if it's one of those then you'll get like the oh well this is what being a browns fan is like blah 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 but uh there's clearly the browns have turned the corner uh the person they've got great personnel on both sides of the ball they got a great coach now uh there's something cooking there and if, if baker keeps developing they keep obj around they've got some good receivers like there's a ton of talent there so this isn't your same Browns, and I, I don't see like, for example, like a letdown. You know, seven and nine or six and ten season coming next year. I think they're better than that. So, thirty-one uh, to think... seventeen. If that's the final score, Cleveland wins. Or excuse me, not Cleveland wins. Kansas City wins thirty-one to seventeen. Yeah. How do you feel if you're a Browns fan? I, I mean, I, I personally, I'm very. Uh, I accept the season. I mean, way better than 
you, know, you expect, right? Rookie head coach, like, come on. Yeah. Uh, you should not have won the game before uh, because right. your team didn't practice all week and your coach was at home in the basement. So you're, you know, I wouldn't say the Browns are back back. Maybe another season to solidify that. But I mean, after two plus decades of bottom feeding, you got to be pleased with that. Absolutely. That's how I feel as well. All right, then. Well, that's all we got from you for you guys here today. Uh, we will be back next week doing a lot of the same thing, to be honest with you, until things really get cooking um, in terms of free agency. Um, our next moves will be based off based around, you know, the postseason situation and then any notable news that may or may not come out in the, you know, the next few weeks here. But um, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, make sure to check out the Daily Norseman. You can find us and the rest of the Climbing the Pocket team on there as well. Um, and then if you want to watch us, Drew and I are on YouTube. Um, you can drop us a comment there. We always check that stuff out. So uh, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next week.